Welcome to the Forbidden Forest. This is Ro reading Chapter 5 of the Blood Magic series, Flashbacks. March 30th, 2007. Harry rubbed his thumb across his wand, staring blankly at the cubicle divide in front of him. He'd been like this for at least an hour, his magic tingling against the wand beneath his fingers, his mind far away and ruminating. His thoughts were circling around the months they had spent in the Forest of Dean. The fear, the panic, the nights he would spend unable to fall asleep at all, heart racing at every small sound the forest produced. He had carried a horcrux and lived on adrenaline and scavenged mushrooms, and he had survived amid the terror. He had fought his heart out. He'd rescued his friends from certain death. He had kept it together. He'd even felt strong under the cloak of fear, sure of himself, sure of his mission and his path. Each morning, he rose with purpose. He had scrubbed his face clean and gotten dressed, knowing exactly what he needed to do. He'd been full of this incredible and unyielding desire to live, to persevere. In the end, he'd done just that. He'd lived. One. And now? Why did he keep reliving those moments? They came to him in nightmares for the first few years, but now here he was sitting at his desk, at work, smelling the wet moss and hearing the small streams of that little glen they had sheltered in as if he was still standing there, his wand held up against the dark as he whispered Lumos to the blackness beyond the protective enchantments and began his watch. He could feel the shimmer of Hermione's charms ripple against his skin in the cold, see his breath forming tumultuous clouds of steam with each forced exhale, the adrenaline making him nearly pant, the cold making him shiver. On those night watches, Harry had to focus on every little snapping twig, every whisper the wind threw up between the branches of trees that would hide him just as well as hide his enemies. He could never shake the feeling of being followed, being watched, and it ate at him in the lingering dark, the cold seeping into his bones beneath his threadbare clothes. Harry's magic pulsed with alarm as Ron stood up quickly, knocking the cubicle wall as he rose and turned, likely to hand in the paperwork they had been working on. Harry shoved down the panic that had risen, ripping him from his memory of the forest to stare at the fire that had erupted in his empty coffee mug, though, to be fair, it was often more whiskey than coffee these days. He doused it with a quick aguamenti and swallowed hard, staring at the cup. He had started a fire, accidentally. His magic buzzed around him, defensively. His magic had erupted uncontrolled before, usually in moments of rage or profound grief. He'd noticed something had broken. But this, this was the first time he had started a fire. He felt another slow, building wave of panic as he realized that this was decidedly a bad sign. He was slipping, falling, tumbling down somewhere deep and dark and unknown. He felt unsafe. Harry shoved his hands in his jeans pockets and stomped his way down Shaftesbury Avenue. He should have been cold, with just a sweater pushed up past his elbows and a t-shirt underneath, but flames of jealousy licked and curled their way around inside his chest. He hated how angry he was, how hurt. He hated it as he hated himself blindly, consumingly. Why couldn't he be happy for them? His two best friends in the whole world, his family, were expecting. 
Hermione and Ron had invited him over to the house for Sunday dinner, with a whole speech planned and everything. They'd nervously fussed and twittered and gone on about the weather, and Hermione had eventually come out with it, with the big news, that she was now in her second trimester and she could start telling people, and they'd wanted to tell Harry first. He shouldn't have been so surprised, really. Something in the back of his mind told him they'd been trying for months to conceive, and he'd always known this day would come. So why did it bother him so much? He had schooled his face into a huge grin and hugged them both. He knew they would make excellent parents. Their child would be loved and spoiled and would have the best of the muggle and wizarding world could offer them. It was a joyful thing, having kids, wasn't it? They had asked Harry to be godfather. He knew he should be happy. It was an honor for them to ask, and they had been so sweet and kind and considerate. But what did he really know about kids? He certainly wasn't responsible enough or capable of raising a child if Ron and Hermione died. Remus and Tonks had trusted him with Teddy, and yet Andromeda had stepped in, and Harry hardly featured in the little boy's life anymore. It had been years and years since he'd seen him. Harry knew it would be the same with Ron and Hermione's child, if they died, that is. He'd be pushed aside for Molly and Arthur and Bill and Fleur, and for fuck's sake, even Percy would be a better godparent than he could ever be. Harry sucked in a breath as he thought of his own godfather, of Sirius, of the hope that had risen in him that this man could be a father to him, be his family. How crushed he had been when he died. What if Harry died? What if he did the same thing to these poor children who were relying on him to be their source of love and care in this whole wide, bitter world? Harry shook his head and concentrated on his footfalls. He had told Ron and Hermione that he was meeting up with Seamus and Dean at the pub around the corner to catch up and had warned them not to wait up for him, heaping congratulations and backslaps and hugs on them all the way from the dining room to the door, but he'd lied. He had apparated right into Muggle London as soon as he'd gotten far enough down the road to evade suspicion. He had wanted to be alone. He turned a corner when he recognized the seedy porn shop across the way and went halfway down the block, just far enough away from the lights and busy shops, and ducked into a dingy, derelict establishment. The gallows was marked only by a soot-covered row of blocky red letters against the grimy brick, painted white many years ago, a small doorway in a recess to the right. Harry had stumbled upon his new haunt a few years back, when he used to take his mind off of things by walking around Muggle London, often late into the night, finding solace in his anonymity. Back then, he had fretted about being recognized and constantly updated his glamour charms, nervous and suspicious and so self-aware. After enough time had passed, however, the press no longer obsessed about his every move, and he hardly had anyone notice him. No one thanked him or stopped him to shake his hand. Perhaps it was his sunken eyes and sallow cheeks, the years of stress and loneliness wearing him down, trading his boyish physique for a sinewy, strained body of an aura, the countenance of a man with too many memories for his years. Yes, perhaps it was that. The bar was as it always was, empty save a few regular patrons, either hunched over at the sloping and splintered bar, nursing their drink in the shadowy booths along the wall, the back being taken up by a disgusting pair of toilets, used more for nefarious activities than relieving oneself. Well, maybe both, if they're not the same anyway. Harry had never spoken to any of the other patrons, preferring to seat himself two-thirds of the way down the bar, comfortably distant from the elderly mumbling gentleman at the front stool and the three snickering women taking up the booth in the back. 
He came for the drinks and the solitude, and that's what he got. Nodding at the barman, whose name he didn't even know, Harry received his regular fare down in front of him, a double of Jameson, chosen because it was the first bottle that caught his eye when he walked in that first night. He had found he liked it, so he never bothered to try anything else. He tossed it back easily, sighing and listening to the soft crooning that came across the half-broken radio behind the bar. The barman stood off to the side, wiping glasses with the same dirty rag he was always carrying about. Harry liked that he never tried to make conversation. Maybe he knew this was the kind of place people came when they wanted to drown their thoughts, not voice them. Harry motioned for a refill and swallowed another. I've seen you here before. A voice next to his ear was accompanied with a soft hand sliding around his waist. Harry tensed, throwing a glance over his shoulder. One of the women from the booth at the back had walked up to him and was smiling deviously, batting her eyelashes, popping her hip out and dragging her fingers along his back, slow and single-minded. Her intentions were obvious, and Harry simply grunted in acknowledgement. He didn't feel the need to explain himself to her. She was pretty enough, short blonde hair framing her pale, slightly sharp face. She had gold hoop earrings and bright red lipstick, her mascara thick under-winged eyeliner. You look like you could use some company, she murmured, breaking the silence as Harry drank in her features. He nodded slowly, reaching into his pocket to pull out the muggle money he could lay across, across the counter for his drinks. The barman snorted a laugh, not looking up from his diligent cleaning of the same glass tumbler. She took his hand and led him outside and down the alleyway, stopping just behind a trash bin. Harry hardly noticed the less-than-luxurious setting as his eyes were glued to her round ass, shifting enticingly with each step beneath the gold-glittering miniskirt. She turned and caught him staring, laughing quietly and reaching up to cup his face as she leaned in to kiss him, her familiarity and ease in the gesture catching him off guard. Her lips were soft and her tongue slid against his as they kissed, his hands reaching down to appreciate the cleft of her ample ass. He groaned and pushed up, back against the wall, his head spinning as she slid her hands between them, deftly unbuttoning his jeans. Harry dropped his head and looked down at what she was doing, rivulets of fear breaking through the fog of whiskey. I need something more. Harry stumbled over his words, an idea sticking to the roof of his mouth. Oh, she laughed, reaching into her top, slipping a little fold of plastic out of her bra. I've got just the thing, babe, don't you worry. I was hoping you'd say something. I could use some myself. Harry stared as she tapped out the contents of the plastic baggie onto her hand, her palm to her chest, loading the depression just beyond the base of her thumb. She brought it up to her nose and snorted greedily, her smile big and bright. She tapped out a second hefty helping of the white powder and offered it to Harry. He copied her, plugging one nostril and inhaling as hard as he could with the other, pressed up against the strange white powder she had so graciously offered him. Before he had time to assimilate the strange burning sensation and then the very unusual numbing of his nose and throat, she had refocused her attentions on his cock. She knelt, pulling his jeans and pants down with her, brazenly grabbing and stroking his cock with one hand and fondling his heavy balls with the other. Harry felt himself getting hard just as he felt his heart start to pound, his ears filling with the sound of his blood rushing with each frantic beat. The volume of his thoughts increased, as did the speed at which they careened around his skull. He swallowed repeatedly against the strange numbness of his throat, 
Was he drooling? Was he panicking? Was he okay? Was his heart supposed to be doing this? He didn't know, and he was too overwhelmed to ask. He looked down and was greeted by the sight of a blonde head bobbing up and down along the length of his erection. His cock twitched and his balls ached. He felt like he was reliving a teenage fantasy. He could feel himself getting close, despite the strange numbing sensation as he ran his hand through the short blonde hair. It felt so good, so right. She looked up at him with glassy eyes and smudged lipstick, and he felt himself falter. No, he liked it better when she couldn't see him and he couldn't see her. He didn't want too much reality intruding on his fantasy. The fact that he was letting a complete stranger, high off her tits on cocaine, suck him off in an alley behind a dumpster. Fuck, he didn't even know her name. Not that he wanted to, really. No, he couldn't think about that too much, or he'd go soft and it would be yet another failed attempt at fucking for his resume. His stomach clenched and he reached down to interrupt her ministrations, turning her to face the wall while he continued to stroke his cock, willing himself to stay hard. He flipped up her miniskirt and found her without any underclothes, his thoughts racing as he trailed his free hand down the curve of her ass, grabbing a handful and pulling her cheeks apart. He felt hypnotized, and the blood surged back to his cock, fears of his faltering pushed aside by a desperate need to fuck. It was several seconds before Harry realized she was saying something, reaching back into her bra and tearing something between her teeth. She handed him the open condom and he slipped it down around his now aching hardness before letting her lean down and grasp him, guiding him into her waiting ingress. Harry leaned forward, following her prompting. He felt his cock slip into her and he groaned, his hands trembling. His heart felt it like it might explode and his chest hurt, but he was fucking her. He was moving in and out, snapping his hips, gasping each time he buried into her. He was fucking her and he was staying hard. He leaned his head down, his nose against her ear, nestled in her platinum hair. His thoughts raced, first about how ridiculous this was, then about how he had needed this, needed it for years. Hell, this is what he was supposed to be doing while he was busy fighting off Voldemort, being a sex-crazed teenager. His days at Hogwarts could have been spent buried between the legs of his crush, learning how to be intimate with someone instead of constantly afraid, building up his walls, trying to learn occlumency for fuck's sake. He wanted openness. He wanted someone to know how he was feeling, to be able to look at him and notice how much he hurt, how scared he was. He spiraled, his mind flooding with images of his first awkward kiss with Ginny, his ridiculous attempt at dating Cho, his morning spent staring across the great hall, seeking out his nemesis, Malfoy. Harry's memories blurred together and reformed into that fateful day he swung open the door to the girls' bathroom and caught Malfoy crying. How soft he'd seemed, how vulnerable. How Harry's first instinct had been of empathy, of desire to reach out, to comfort, before he had looked up in the mirror and caught him standing there. Harry's mind held the scene a moment, the honesty. He thought of Malfoy's soft hands on the edge of the sink, the graceful line of his shoulders bent with the weight of the same world that had been haunting Harry. Harry felt his balls draw up and the warmth of his orgasm spread across his body, up his spine, a pleasant humming vibration that soothed the raw parts of his soul, his head still full of thoughts of Malfoy. His cock softened and Harry pulled off the condom, tossing it into the dumpster. He suddenly felt flushed, embarrassed, overwhelmingly confused. Why had he thought of Malfoy? His hands continued to shake as he redressed, his thoughts feeling as though they were screaming in his ears. 
He looked up at the smug look and raised eyebrow of the woman he had just fucked, unsure of what to do, what to say. He panicked and backed away, sputtering a quick thanks before turning and walking out the alley and back down the street, getting only a few meters beyond the bar before breaking into a run. It was several blocks before he realized she had taken his wallet. Harry was running flat out in a full sprint, his eyes wide, his breath frantic. He couldn't escape the thoughts, the bewilderment. What had he done? He had tried to apparate away as soon as he'd found another empty alleyway, but his magic wouldn't respond. The air he needed to move through wasn't there, and he had spun on the spot just to stumble and nearly fall into a pile of trash bags. Whatever she had given him had stolen his magic. For the second time that night, he panicked. Luckily, in the nights he'd spent walking London, he had learned a few things about the layout of the massive city. He knew that if he kept on down Adderley Street, he'd eventually hit the abandoned storefront that hid St. Mungo's, and from there he could find his way back to Grimald Place for the night. It may take an hour, but he would be safe there, he thought. He tried to focus on deep, even breaths as he ran up the quiet street, one block east of St. Mungo's, his hand dragging along the perfectly manicured boxwood bushes that lined the avenue. He only saw one other person between there and Grimald Place, a lone doorman in a bright red jacket who nodded and smiled at him knowingly as he ran past. Harry filled with dread as he realized this man probably recognized him, famous Harry Potter running wildly through London at three in the morning, looking like death incarnate. A block later, turning left on another broad boulevard, Harry decided it didn't really matter anyway. He had no magic, no way to use glamour or confund or obliviate anyone he came across. He ran straight up the overgrown walk to the sloping stoop of the house Sirius had left him, former headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix, the ancient and most noble house of Black. The townhouse had fallen into more serious disrepair over the last few years, Harry having sent Creature to stay at Hogwarts after the battle, help with the reconstruction, and live out his days in the company of those he had rallied to fight against the Dark Lord. An unsettling aura leaked from the cracked, dusty windows, and the foundation groaned in the last of the winter winds that whipped around the deserted street. A sinister tremor reverberated through Harry, courtesy of the house's antique wards, awakening as his hand rested on the front door. His fingers traced the ornamentation carved deep into the ironwood, smoothed with time yet still razor-sharp with the spells of the Black Forefathers, a forest scene. He watched the wood awaken to him, thestrals pawing the ground, their heads held high, nostrils flaring in anxiety. The hawthorn and blackthorn trees rustled as the charmed being unfurled their colossal wings, beating them fretfully, as if in preparation to take flight. Beneath the trees, tangled within the roots, toujours pur was barely legible. Harry rested his palm flat against one of the heavy brass knockers, a twisting berg adder that squirmed beneath his hand. He felt the layers of magic of the pure-blood relic thrumming with an unrepentant animosity. They knew, as he did, that he didn't really belong. The snake hissed softly, but without his magic, he wasn't sure what it had said. I am the owner of the ancient and most noble house of Black, entrusted to me by its former master, my godfather, Sirius Black, Harry intoned, his head low, aware of how much stronger the magic of the house seemed, how much more alive. Let me in, he finished, his voice hiding the quavering of his thoughts. He was washed in warm relief as the ward's shimmer and the lock clicked, 
the door swinging open to him. The Thestrals shook their heads, silken manes, the last to ripple with the house's magic before the door swung shut behind him and all went still again. Harry stood, motionless, in the familiar entry hall, taking deep breaths, willing himself to remain calm, to not think of the last time, of the days before they started camping, the days before the heaviness of the horcrux they carried. It had been hard even then, in the terrible old house. It had been filled with uncertainty, of fear. The House of Black was dead. The only ones of their name, Regulus and Sirius, both succumbed to a bitter, unjust end, an end with no rest for their souls, no plot of their own to lay buried and mourned by their loved ones, few though they may be, no place to be at peace. In its own way, Harry thought this house had become a mausoleum to the two brothers, the only place left to remember them, the only place their magic still lingered. The house reeked of dark magic, a scent so similar to the metallic aroma of blood that Harry placed it easily, instantly, the coppery odor sticking to his palate as if he'd just developed a nosebleed. Any trace that the order had met there, worked there, even that they had attempted to clean was gone, and the dust lay thick across everything Harry could see, illuminated in the single dim light of the entryway. Harry took a tentative step forward, his foot landing silently amid a little cloud of dust. He sighed as another of the old light fixtures on the wall sparked to life, casting a second sphere of the dim yellow glow. It seemed the house was doing as little as possible, as slowly as possible, for its new master. Harry pushed his shoulders down and walked ahead into the dark where he knew he'd find the staircase, the lights popping in and out of order as he made his way up to the third floor, to Sirius's old room. He needed the comfort of something familiar, he needed to feel less alone. Somehow, in his addled state, his dead godfather's bedroom was the answer to how helpless he felt. Serious, he choked as the door to his godfather's bedroom swung open. The room a mess of hippogriff feathers and tattered bed linens. Despite the relative chaos, he could still feel his godfather's presence throughout the room, as if he'd just left that morning. His clothes were still piled haphazardly in a corner, a book he must have been in the middle of reading, falling by the bedside and never picked up. Harry moved toward it, leaned down to grasp the old binding and brushed the layer of dust off the cover. Homeward Bound was spelled out in ornate gold across the dark green canvas covering. Harry felt his heart ache. He imagined Sirius's wry smile and jaunty confidence, his moments of kindness and bravery. He had wanted a home with Harry to live out his life, to enjoy the sunshine and sing and be nothing but carefree, a home away from this hateful place, this mausoleum. Harry held back a sob. It was his fault. He was dead. It was his fault. I'm sorry, Sirius. I'm so sorry. He shook his head as the tears fell from his cheeks and splashed across the book, still in his hands. He let the guilt wash over him his shoulders shaking, his anger finally dissolving. He cried for his role in Sirius's death and what had become of Harry's life. What had he even done with the freedom he had fought so hard for? He was here and Sirius wasn't. He was here and he could be singing in the shower and laughing at the constellations and playing pick-up pick Quidditch in the lazy afternoons with the friends he still had living. But he wasn't. 
because guilt and misery and all of his failures sat so heavy on top of his shoulders, and all the memories nipped viciously at his heels as he walked, and then they whispered terrors in his ears while he ran, until he was so exhausted that all he could do was let them catch him and pull him down, like the ravenous hands of the inferi, Thoughts of all those who had died with him, for him, curled around his softest parts and dragged him deep beneath the depths of his own consciousness. He felt raw, ashamed, vulnerable. Harry gathered himself together and climbed onto the four-poster bed with its ripped and ragged blankets, not even bothering to pull them back. He curled up with his head against a dusty pillow, still clutching the book against his chest. He thought about all of the events of the evening, all of the twists and turns that had brought him back here to seek the one person who may not have judged him for the mistakes he had made. Sirius would have clapped him on the back and laughed a deep, hearty laugh with his head thrown back and his long hair waving wildly. He would have told Harry some even more over-the-top nonsense that he and James had gotten into, and he would have told him everything would turn out okay, and he would have meant it. Even in those terrible days, he had been forced to be sequestered, alone, and locked up in a house he hated. Sirius had remained strong, stoic, patient, true to his lion's nature. He had been waiting to start living his life again, to be free. Harry sighed, squeezing his eyes shut against the threat of another deluge of tears. I'm sorry you never had anyone to love you either, Sirius. I'm sorry you never had someone love you. It's hard to be alone. He slept fitfully, tossing and turning and occasionally shouting out in his sleep, a voice that echoed around the still and silent house. Just after dawn, Harry knocked the book from the bed. Had he been awake, he may have noticed the little piece of parchment that fluttered out from between the pages and slipped beneath the wooden frame of the four-poster bed. To the only star worth noticing in our night sky, I saw this today while browsing in our local Mogul bookshop and thought of you. A story about love, devotion, perseverance, and friendship, and the two main characters are dogs. It seemed just sappy enough for you to secretly enjoy, just as I secretly enjoy you. I miss you terribly, Sirius. It'll be several weeks before I can get away again, but I promise to come as soon as I can. I've spent too many years separated from you, and it's wearing on me. I feel compelled to start telling people of our plans tonight, even the war be damned. Maybe that's what I'll howl at the moon, an epic declaration of love for one serious Orion Black, the man I want to make my husband. Let all the forest hear me. I know we can't, Sirius, I know. Just let this man be madly in love with you on parchment, if not out loud. I saw you wearing our rings at the last meeting, and that is declaration enough for me. It's enough to have kept me smiling all week. Yours, since the day we kissed under the blackthorn behind the greenhouses and got caught by Professor Sprout, but you managed to let out a yell, punch me in the shoulder, and tried to convince her we just tripped up and landed like that, half undressed and blushing from head to toe. R.J.L. Harry slept another hour before snapping back into consciousness, whatever dream he had been having slipping right back down into the depths from whence it came. His eyes fluttered open to the sight of Sirius's bedroom, he huffed a feather from under his nose and scrambled up, staring around in shock at the hellhole of a place he'd managed to fall asleep in before desperately feeling his jeans pockets for his wand. His fingers closed around the holly gratefully, and he felt the quiet hum beneath his fingers once again. Hopeful, he cast a scourgify at the bed. A layer of dust and some of the less putrid-looking stains lifted from the blankets, and the sheets straightened themselves out, if only slightly. 
Harry sighed, mostly in relief. He didn't want to think about the repercussions of losing his magic. Forever. Even if he realized it had been sort of nice to sleep without the wild, pulsing, trembling forces that swirled around him. He hadn't been worried about setting anything on fire in his sleep, at least. The house's magic seemed to have settled in the daylight as well, with less animosity creeping around every corner. Though Harry still smelled the coppery hue of blood, it was less as though someone had exsanguinated in front of him, and more akin to having bitten his tongue unexpectedly. Harry wondered if maybe he should be a bit more afraid of the place, being full of unruly dark magic and whatnot, but he couldn't really bring himself to reject the house. Dark magic may be formidable, but Harry felt a strange comfort in the nastiness, in the simmering animosity. It was what he was used to, anyway. Harry scrubbed his face in his hands and looked down at himself, considering the disgusting clothes he had spent the night in. He eyed a pile of Sirius's old wardrobe in the corner and plucked a t-shirt and jeans from somewhere in the middle. It would have to do. He had to go into the office this morning, and though he rarely cared about how he looked, he at least didn't want to appear to have spent the night in a cave. Harry shucked off his clothes and threw on the ones he had found. The black jeans were nice and snug, with artful tears in the knees and tapered close over his calves and ankles. He realized they must have been a pair of serious purchase soon after his escape from Azkaban, when he was nothing but a shell of a man held together on a pile of bones. Nothing but skin, bones, and fearlessness. Harry liked the idea that he'd gone out shopping for himself, getting excited over some rocker skinny jeans he could look suave in while he rode his motorcycle, a distant dream of a happy future full of luck and good fortune. He had probably flirted mercilessly with the shop girl, too, Harry snorted and imagined there must be a leather jacket and boots around here somewhere. He pulled what he thought was a plain black t-shirt down over his head, smiling to himself, missing his godfather but treasuring the moment he could feel close to him again. Harry was out the door in the boots he'd found near the entrance, and in an old leather jacket Sirius must have had or bought secondhand, the leather inescapably soft and comfortable as he slipped it on, his nose filling with the familiar smell of his godfather like orange blossoms and cigar smoke and dragon hide. A smell that made Harry feel, if just for a moment, the immense love of Sirius and the unapologetic way he had taken on the world. He strode out of the house, the wards bending smoothly beneath his request to leave, and walked up the street on his way to the ministry. If he had looked more closely, he would have caught the fact that his supposedly plain black t-shirt was actually emblazoned with a since-faded insignia. A dragon, guarding over a royal crown, two lions reared up on their back legs, flanking each side. Below that, queen stood out in red lettering. that was chapter five and Harry has his first experience in using drugs a and his first successful sexual experience yeah you want to talk about that (laughs) that intersection there um no do I have to talk about it I guess that's the whole point of Mm. this yeah um god what did I think when I wrote this I I don't know that I did that much thinking mm-hmm. other than 
recognizing and like being so acutely aware that if you dull all of the thoughts mm. that are fucking you up, mm. you can usually skip having to deal with them mm. and then you can skip right on into being capable in other ways. Mm. And it's sort of like a, like alcohol, like other drugs, it's a quick fix to feel like you can be okay or do things. Mm. Or that just that you could be okay. Yeah. And I think I tried to make it really clear that like Harry and Ginny and his like ruminating and anxiety around sex is because he is deeply traumatized and yeah. he's got, you know, he can't relax and he, he can't be in the moment and enjoy mm. the moment. Mm. Almost his, like he's performing. Yeah. And if your thoughts are getting in the way of something, one way that you can get around that is you use drugs to get rid of your thoughts mm. or to change your thoughts. Yeah, that's really interesting. I also thought it was interesting in the beginning um, when he was sitting at his desk in the ministry and being, like you said, he's sitting in the ministry so far away from the war and yet he was still in it and yeah. still stuck, trapped in his thoughts, which is a bit different from where Draco is where he's just like actively fleeing from those thoughts and yeah. Harry's sitting at work just kind of like drowning in memories. Well, yeah, I mean, I named the chapter flashbacks and mm. I talk about it like that because it really is a look at PTSD. Mm. Um, and PTSD as a syndrome includes recurrent thoughts mm. and, you know, being transported back into that feeling either through mm. nightmares or, mm. you know, through active uh, moments during the day where you feel mm. so surrounded by that memory. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I... Yeah, and how, how do people cope with that in, yeah. in a situation where he's not able to talk about it at work or he doesn't feel like he's mm -hmm. able to talk about it? He has no one in his personal life he wants to open up to. Mm -hmm. There's probably no real access for him to get support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do people do in situations like that? They find other avenues. Yeah. They go drink it away or you know, find a way to, to get rid of the thoughts. Yeah. And that's really, yeah, that's what I focused on. Yeah. Um, and then let's talk about Ron and Hermione and Harry's reaction to them having a baby. <laughs> let's not talk about that. <laughs> no, it's fine. I just think, yeah. Like that added layer of like, yeah. now that he, he, like almost that sense of like they're having a child and they have even less space for him in their life. And he has even less ability to go to him, go to them with their, with his problems. Not that he's going to them anyways, yeah. but it's like, I get that sense of like, like the the bridge to them is getting even more narrow. Yeah, and probably we we discussed this the other day, not mm -hmm. on the the fucking podcast, but just in general because this is what we talk about yeah. all the time. <laughs> that um, you know, Ron, I I feel a little bit bad about the way I wrote him in the other chapter because he seems like really an idiot. <laughs> but like you were saying, he's got a a child at home mm -hmm. because that's you know, like a different yeah. time. Um, and this is when, obviously, they find out they're yeah. expecting. But later on, he does have a small child, and he's starting yeah. a family, and he's incredibly... Distracted. Uh, distracted and immersed in that. And, mm. you know, he's just as if his, his buddy at work doing the same thing he's doing, you yeah. know, seems like he's okay. He's not telepathic. Mm -hmm. If Harry doesn't open up and, you know, actually... Yeah. You know, he does have that moment where he tries, but it's a completely inappropriate moment yeah. in a bar, you know, like... Mm. Out of context, Completely. like, will I ever be happy? Like, what is Ron supposed to do with that question? In a when bar? they're talking about Quidditch. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah so exactly. I, I think it's a little unfair the way he appears, but mm. I mean, I definitely tried to sort that yeah. out in later chapters. And in the context, too, where like Harry recognizes he thinks they've been trying for months, 
So like even leading up to this point, Ron's probably been really distracted in his own personal life with whatever him and Hermione got going on. Which, no spoilers, but there's <laughs> no. a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. We'll get there in like 84 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, you'll have forgotten this conversation yeah. by the time we get there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and I think like his response to the existence of children also like oh my god people choose to have children like that like horror such a relatable concept yeah same yeah (laughs) i think a lot of people so if we talk about like backgrounds Mm. that we come from Mm. not happy family homes Mm. you know it's hard to imagine that people would choose that it feels like an immense responsibility you're taking on and very scary and overwhelming Mm. and you know i haven't even sorted myself out Mm. how must i manage it a child yeah yeah (laughs) and their emotional well-being oh my god yeah huge amounts of responsibility and like his guilt around not being involved in teddy's life yeah 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 do you think it was unfair of the adults in his life to like make him a godfather at such a young age oh obviously especially when they had (laughs) such a high risk of dying yeah right in the middle yeah you'll be fine (laughs) not like you have any risk of dying we'll just yeah i feel like yeah rude lupin rude (laughs) it was incredible i mean maybe it was kind in the moment lupin thought he was doing something nice yeah but i think oh god we have opened the wolf star Uh, also this chapter it also talks about wolf star yeah okay so for context we wrote this whole thing and then decided to do the prequel yeah so you find out more and the the prequel prequel is wolf star yeah and their origin stories and like the marauders yeah and and it's all based on this one innocuous letter in this chapter. <laughs> well, and other things. Well, yeah, I mean, we build on that, yeah. but this is, like, the beginning of it. And we, we kind of, like, start exploring their relationship as, like, a bit of a background plot point throughout the fic. This, yeah. This fic, specifically. Well. And how Harry relates to it. Again, Harry has very little examples of love mm. in his life. I mean, he has his mother's sacrifice, but... What other example yeah. of love does he have without yeah. death and, and mm. you know, pain? Without a huge price tag. Exactly. Or mm. Snape, even loving Lily, that's yeah. not healthy love. Mm. You know, he has no... So anyway, when I wrote Sirius yeah. and Remus, I thought, you know, it's, it's so sad because he could have had such a beautiful example. Mm. I mean, obviously they both died too, yeah. but at least they would have been yeah. there and living <laughs> while he was alive. Yeah. So... So sad. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is there anything else that we're supposed to talk about in this chapter? I don't think so. Yeah. I think that's, that's it for now. Yeah. So I don't know if it comes through in the writing, but Harry doesn't end up addicted to cocaine. This was not a good... Like oh his magic disappeared. Oh yeah yeah his magic. Yeah, that's that was what I like a huge up. plot point. Yeah. So um, yeah he I sort of give hints that his magic is becoming uncontrolled. Mm. And that's yeah. fire a huge, in the coffee cup. Yeah. That's a huge fear of his. Um, you know, uncontrolled magic makes you a dangerous person. Mm. And so this is his discovery that mm. Muggle drugs can dampen mm. magic. Yeah. And that becomes important part of the snowball effect yeah. that leads him to mm. yeah drug addiction mm. but it's yeah. not to cocaine <laughs> we'll get there yeah <laughs> okay. okay yeah i think that's it for this chapter and chapter six 
Mm-hmm. We're going through it. We're six doing it. Six of 65. Yeah, six of 65. <laughs> See you guys next time. <laughs>